Saturday edition of Strange Days Live brought to you from sunny Southern California this Saturday, February 17th, 2024. Hope you guys are doing well on this long weekend. Had some energy, so I'm doing some projects on the side. I said, hey, yesterday I said, maybe today I'll show up. And you know what? I showed up. I said maybe earlier, but uh, 7 o'clock. And I'm here at the regular time. Hope you guys can join us. Other than that, let's get the party started. for the bass to drop guys there we go as the bass drops so does my voice welcome to another show of strange days live on a saturday what's up jennifer good to have you here what's up rafa faithful listeners always have my back and i have theirs good to have you guys i hope you guys are having a fun time this saturday i got to sleep a bunch so i'm kind of refreshed i'm doing some other projects for the channel on the side as you guys noticed i started doing these shorts uh they're supposed to attract listeners so i did two shorts so far they're performing yeah whatever but the channel in itself is performing really well and i'm really happy um, I got uh, a lot a lot of views in uh, YouTube, but I've also been getting a lot, a lot of views in our podcasts. And uh, I have like 50 podcasts out there. The main ones is uh, Spotify. So if you find uh, Strange Days there, you can also find it in Amazon, Pandora, and Apple. So just su- subscribe to it. You guys can listen to it on the road. Um, the only caveat is that the podcast is named uh, Strange Days Paranormal. On, on the on the platforms and the reason I did that is because uh, when you look for podcasts people use keywords and I think that pla- you know that the keyword paranormal goes a long way other than days so just a little change of it uh, strange days paranormal that's what we're called on the podcast whatever podcast you use and here in the channel is always strange days live so Thank you for joining this Saturday. I uh, had a good Saturday. Woke up early, uh, went to breakfast with the, the girls, and uh, came home, had a fat nap. Then after that, I went to church, came back, had some snacks, and I'm ready to roll. Um, got some new projects for the channel. I'm excited, man. Um, I talked about that we're going to have these shorts to draw more people in, but at the same time, I'm doing mini stories. And these mini stories are basically um, just stories that cap my eye and then I just put them in a little format in which it's kind of like the same of a shorts format, but it's a little bit longer, maybe two to three minutes and they're they're topical. So for example, let's say I'm talking about the Bermuda Triangle, it'll be like a two minute short format and I'll have a lot of pictures in the background, so it'll keep people entertained and uh, you can listen to those you can see the videos or you can listen to them in the car so i'm just kind of casting a wide net 
Also restructure a little bit of the channel as far as how you can find things. So we have our main shows, which is uh, Strange Days Live. Then I have the, the replay of the show. And I created a new section called interviews where I'm keeping and stashing all my interviews. And then I'll be creating a different section, which is called, um, I'm still thinking of a name for these uh, two minute uh, short stories. If you guys have good ideas on what I should call the snippets, which is like a two, three minute story uh, and they're topical, then put them on, uh, on the comment section and I might use your idea. Strange days, I don't know. Um, shorts, strange days, uh, snippets, whatever you guys have ideas, put them in there. I got a, a gentleman that's going to be, uh, doing, um, a service with us, uh, coming on the air. And I think I'm going to schedule him either for, for the 26th of this month. And that will be next, not this Monday coming up, but the Monday after that, this, uh, person is, uh, a YouTube, um, Take that back. He's a, a Instagrammer. Archive.paranormal.museum. Okay, so go ahead and fill and uh, follow his uh, his his Instagram. It's, it's small. It's growing, but at the same time, that's what we do. We help each other grow. And he also has a website. It's archive/afterlife.weebly.com. Let me see if this gentleman um, has. Yeah, I don't know if he has a YouTube channel, but I want to bring him on. He sounds like a good guy. So visit at archive.paranormal.museum. And um, that way we can uh, you can follow other small accounts and watch them grow. Just as you watch our account grow. We also um, are partnered with the Art Bell Files at YouTube forward slash at Art Bell Files. You get some old Art Bell stuff in there. Um, thank you, Jennifer. You're always so uh, positive, and I thank you for that. It's a hard, you know, you have to hustle, and everything in life, it's a hustle. And, um, and uh, yeah, and so what I'm doing, I'm hustling, meaning that I'm creating uh, channels, and I'm working a lot on this particular channel because I want, I wanted to succeed. That's why I'm here, you know, five days a week and even on the back end I'm always kind of working and and uh, and doing stuff so because I like I said I want this channel to be successful I think it's a good platform uh, it certainly gives me a lot of good memories listening to Art Bell and uh, you know it's helped me it's helped me grow as a person and I think that by creating a program that, that kind of it can replicate that, it will be good for other people to be exposed to to the paranormal and the, the weird. So yeah, the, the channel is, uh, one second, I'll put it out for you here. It's basically youtube.com forward slash, so it's YouTube. Let me paste it in here, Art. Okay, so. It'll be youtube.com forward slash the at sign and then art belt files. Okay. I'm partnering up with that channel. So that would help me. Thank you, Jennifer. It pays, it pays off to work hard because then you start seeing the fruits of your labor. You know, when you, when <laughs> I thought about removing the first videos that I ever made, but I said, you know what? That's where I came from. That's, you know, how I started. Basically, I was just asking people to oh, come on, come on on the air sort of begging but you know that's that's where I was at the moment and now it's like it's kind of heading the right direction and it's only been three and a half months so 
I don't have anything to complain about. I have a good uh, crowd of people that are that are that are listeners, uh, good community, good people, and I'm happy with what I'm doing. That's most important. You got to be content, and that you know that goes into what you do for a living. That goes into how you work, uh, how you play, and who you hang around with. You know, like I told a friend of mine recently on Insta on Facebook that she had some issues with with work, working in a toxic environment. And I said, you know what, you know, life is too short and God is too good for us to be working in a toxic environment. You know, there's always brighter pastures out there and things usually work out for the better. So sometimes we're afraid of, to leave the comfort of um, similarity or no, the comfort of something that's been there for a while we're afraid of it but uh, sometimes when we we take those steps and we venture out of our comfort zone we realize that there's a lot more to life that fulfills us and uh, we often don't look back you know so life is about taking chances you know as long as as long as your significant other has your back and has your support then take those chances okay you only need that one person that's the most important person in your life to have your back and if they have your back no matter how crazy it may sound to your family how crazy it may sound to your friends take that step you know i would have never ever gone to medical school uh when I, when my wife and I decided that I should take that leap, you know, I was, I was ready in my late twenties. We had a, my son was born. I was in an okay career and everybody was like, no, what are you doing? You're crazy. You guys have a house, you have a son, everything's kind of set, but you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to comfort. I don't want to just do that. Give me one second, guy. Sorry, guys, I got to yell at the at my girls because they're making a lot of ruckus in the back. But yeah, so, you know, and I said, uh, I have my wife's back. My wife's like, you can do it. And I said, yeah, we can do it. I had God on my side. I said, we can do it. So we did it. And uh, here we are, pays the dividends. And once you complete your task, people that say, no, you're not going to do it or you're risking too much. They come around and they said, we always knew that you could do it. But a lot of people believe in you once you've accomplished something. Seldom people, a lot of people don't really believe in you when you engage in a task, you know? So, yeah, those that's life. That's a little bit of... of uh, one second, my kids, man, one second. They... Make a lot of noise. Girls make a lot of noise. <laughs> if you guys have girls, you know what I mean, especially when they have friends over. And I hate like being like this. I'm not really a strict parent, but I mean, anything that they yell and stuff, it leaks into the broadcast. So they know that dad has like an hour to himself. And um, yeah, I'm not a mean guy for doing that. Let's see here. So I'm just kind of, while I'm talking to you guys, I'm pulling some stories that I want to uh, talk to you guys about. And, and, you know, these stories are very shallow. 
not in content, but in con, uh, yeah, not in content, but the amount of stuff that I'm able to read. So I want to keep them that way. I don't want to do like a profound, <coughs> excuse me, a profound show um, that I have to prepare like 50 hours for because I don't have that time. So I just do like read some cool stories. And if you're interested on your own, then go ahead, take off and, and do your own research. And this is more comfortable too when you're driving. When you're driving, you just want to hear somebody tell you like a snippet. And if you like the story, you'll go and you'll research it. Same thing with what I'm doing in the other format of the, the short stories. Okay. Um, so I think I got enough. I think I'm probably going to do an hour today. Um, I'm looking up, really seeing some cool stories. We'll do about an hour and we'll see where we go from here. The majority of our listeners actually comes with um it comes with the replays actually yeah i get a few listeners live but then the majority of the listeners come either from replays or from podcasts so podcasts so i'm good with that i was thinking about the word podcast and how the vocabulary changes the generational you know as, as things come up our vocabularies tend to change and then podcasts really came from the ipod which was, the, you know, an Apple device that was sort of like a like a CD player or like a tape player, you know, that you were able... I, I don't know if they sell uh, iPods anymore, but you would be able to download music in these devices. And then people started having like little broadcasts. And uh, lo and behold, the name Podcast came to be. Pod for the device, iPod, and then Cast as a broadcast. And I was thinking about that. And I thought that was very cool how companies and uh, technology influence our language, you know? Anyways, uh, Jennifer says, too many people are afraid of what others think. Amen or that? I'm done. I'm, you know, I'll be 50 in a couple, two years, and I'm, I'm done with what? Uh, trying to make everybody feel good. Uh, th- there's always, there's one saying that always stuck to me, and and I love it. And it, and what it, what it says, it says, you're not, uh, you're not expected to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Let me say that again. You're not expected to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Okay? And I know that our um, that our society now expected to be like you have to do all kinds of things to keep your kids happy. You have to do all kinds of weird things to keep the house happy. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You're supposed to you're supposed to take time and be yourself and enjoy yourself. God knows my parents, you know, I love my parents to, de- uh, to death. They, they, they raised me the right way, but they're not out there like putting on productions for my first birthday or like, you know, having going ragged, running, driving me and my friends around to the movies and giving me money and getting me all these technology stuff. I mean, I got a Nintendo for a birthday present. And other than that, I was pretty much on my own, just kind of hanging out and playing. And you know what? That was a good childhood. I love, I love my childhood. Um, it was simple and the simplicity is what keeps it nice. So with that being said, Let's dive a little bit into crazy cases. So let's talk about these, the Antarctica. You know, I've always been fascinated by the Antarctica. Um, I think it's a very mysterious continent. If you're from, if you kind of got, if you like that uh, flat earth flavor, if you will, people think it's just a nice Well, I don't adhere to that. I think that our world is nice and round. But the Antarctica has always been a mysterious continent because, you know, um, there's something below 
all that ice. And at one point, uh, that was exposed to like a regular weather pattern, meaning that it had fauna, it had a flora, and they've, they've even found palm trees in regions of the Antarctica. So that was teeming with life. And who knows, you know, if the ice was ever ever to be melted, what amazing things that could be there. There could be, you know, maybe there was an awesome civilization that lived there. And it's just kind of frozen in time, quote unquote, because we were not able to dig that, dig that deep and, and find like the, the, the earth of what have been the foundations of that city. So Antarctica has always been fascinating to me. I think it would be an awesome place to visit. It's a hard place to get to. Uh, but it will be awesome. So this is called Monstrous Creatures in Antarctica. Antarctica is known for its extreme conditions and unique ecosystems. Studies have shown that animals in cold oceanic regions tend to grow larger than their counterparts in other parts of the world, the phenomenon known as polar gigantism. I did not know that. Exploring the vast and desolate landscapes of Antarctica, scientists have often been captivated by its sheer beauty, harsh climate, and mysterious phenomena. However, a number of scientists conducted studies have revealed some truly mind-boggling discoveries that might never change, that might forever, excuse me, change our perception of the icy continent. Antarctica is renowned for its extreme conditions both on the surface and beneath its frozen depth, while the region's unique ecosystem has adapted to survive uh, these harsh conditions, it appears that there may be more than meets the eye lurking beneath the icy waters, perhaps gigantic and monstrous creatures. Researchers have long been examining the concept of polar gigantism or abysmal deep sea gigantism, which suggests that animals in cold oceanic regions tend to grow larger than their counterparts. The phenomenon has been observed in various marine species, such as squid jellyfish, deep-sea isopods. These creatures, already impressive in their regular size, become truly colossal in the Antarctic Ocean. But does the existence of colossal sea creatures in Antarctica go beyond mere speculation? Could it be their actual monstrous being lurking beneath the surface? Research unexplained sounds such as Julia and the Blob have added aeromystique in the idea to it. So what is this Julia in the blob? So Julia is a mysterious sound recorded on March 1st, 1999 by the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also known as NOAA. NOAA said the source of the sound was most likely a large iceberg that had run aground off Antarctica. However, pictures from NASA's Apollo 33A5 shows a large shadow swaying through the southwest section of Cape Cadre at the same time of the recorded sound. Although still be classified, the pictures apparently provide information that this unknown shadow is two times larger than the Empire State Building. That's Julia sound. And the blob, uh, over the past 70 years, the world's oceans have emerged as a valuable global listening device. First, by networks of underwater microphones scanning for enemy submarines during the Cold War and in more recent decades by scientists studying the oceans and the internal structure of the Earth. One of the most famous and powerful underwater sound events ever to be captured was known as the Blop, was recorded by, the, by NOAA in 1997. The Blop event lasted for about one minute and rose in frequency from a low rumble 
It was detected by underwater microphones more than 3,000 miles away and was much louder than the noise made by any known animal. The rough location of the event that caused the blob is the sea near the Arctic Circle, and Noah now thinks that the blob was caused by the sound of massive icebergs calving or splitting from the end of Antarctica glaciers and falling into the sea. Very cool, huh? So going back to our main, so those are the unexplained sounds that we're talking about. And both of these sounds have added an air of mystique to the idea that there are giant creatures living in Antarctica. The Julia sound, uh, okay, so just recapping on that, and then the blob, they went into that, okay. Well, the idea of this monstrous creatures may seem like stuff of science fiction. It is not entirely implausible. The vastness and inaccessibility of the Arctic Ocean, Antarctic Ocean, have made it difficult for scientists to thoroughly explore its depth. It is plausible that certain species capable of evading detection have evolved in these isolated waters. I always thought that we should invest money in exploring the oceans, uh, not only space. We spent so much money in space and the oceans have kind of been an untapped source. You know, there could be plants there, there could be animals in there that could kind of help our pharmacological industries to develop God knows what, you know, a lot of, if you think about it, all our pharmacological or pharmaceuticals are derived from plants or living organisms, right? And so maybe there's a variety of things underwater that can really help us move up to the next echelon in in medicine, more so than trying to find something in another galaxy. Um, Moreover, the concept of polar gigantism raises another intriguing possibility. If these colossal sea creatures already exist, could the phenomenon of polar gigantism amplify their size and strength even further? This raises the question of whether we have just scratched the surface of what Antarctic truly, Antarctica truly harbors. Now, on the other hand, skeptics argue that the polar gigantism phenomena primarily affects invertebrates and is unlikely to extend to large marine creatures. They suggest that the extreme cold and limited food resources in Antarctica would not support the energy requires of massive animals. I don't know. Our biggest mammal is, uh, you know, our biggest our biggest mammal in Earth now is the whales, and uh, the whale is not a carnivorous animal. They are able to um, they're able to eat fish and, and thrive, and uh, they're a mammal, right? And then you have other mammals that are able to eat for a certain portion of time, and they're able to kind of go in this uh, hibernation state. So. Could you have some kind of underwater animal that's a mammal that eats fish and it's able to hibernate, right? There you have it. Yeah, it's totally can support the idea that you can have like large animals living in Antarctica. They probably go hunting in the, you know, they go hunting in the Pacific. They eat enough for them to last about two to three months and then they just go and chill under the ice. Despite the skepticism, the potential discovery of monstrous creatures in Antarctica holds a captivating allure. It is essential to approach these speculations with scientific rigor and imagination. You can often run wild in the face of unknown phenomena. Agreed, more extensive research, exploration, and technological advances are necessary. Yeah, but um, it's very plausible. I think if you consider uh, the odds of finding some cool stuff in the uh, in Antarctica as opposed to finding some cool stuff in Mars, uh, it's a no-brainer, you know? Right? 
so we should invest money where we kind of can get a better results if you will let's see what's going on in the in our in our Roxy W, good to have you here. Another, uh, I saw you here yesterday. Good to have you here. Jennifer says we could possibly have any kind of animal that we don't understand or know about yet. Absolutely, it can be all kinds of things. There could be things that have probably been discovered that we don't know about, you know. And there's definitely animals that we don't um, that we don't know about. There's animals that we've even uh, considered extinct, and then all of a sudden they pop up. So it's a it's a big world. You know, it's a big world and it's, um, you have to be very meticulous how you go about exploring it. So, Chinchi, how are you, man? Good to have you here. I'm doing well. I'm happy that you're here with us on this beautiful Saturday, which is actually like a Friday if you think about it, because we have a three-day weekend. Hooray. Yeah, Roxy, good to have you here. Thanks for being part of this community. I appreciate you. So that's story number numero dos. Now, let's see this one. This is called the mysterious sleeping sickness in Kazakhstan villages. What caused it? Victim of this particular disease would sometimes act as if they were drunk, would experience memory loss about what they had done and experience. They would often experience hallucinations like a snail walking over their face. In the remote villages of Kalachi and Kragnarok in northern Kazakhstan, a mysterious sleeping sickness has plagued the residents there since 2013. People would suddenly fall asleep for extended periods, sometimes for days, and wake up in a state of confusion and disorientation. I wonder if they have what kind of factories are around that city. That would be interesting or to check the pollution level in their local food sources and water sources. This phenomenon has affected over 140 individuals in a population of approximately 810 people. So about more than 50% of people have been affected by this. The sleeping uh, sickness has been extended to animals as well. Yeah, with cats also experiencing similar symptoms. The bizarre disorder has earned the region's nickname Sleepy Hollow. That's kind of cool. In this article, we will dig into the cause and findings surrounding this enigmatic illness. It's definitely something in the food source um, or, or the air. Residents in Kalachi and Kragnarok began experiencing sudden episodes of falling asleep at random times, even while engaged in daily activities such as walking, driving, or milking cows. That's dangerous. Um, not milking cows, but driving <laughs> Oh, some victims would remain unconscious for up to six days, waking up with memory loss, grogginess, weakness, and headaches. Those who did not lose consciousness reported hallucinations like a snail walking over their face. I guess if, that's just, if, if that was just more than one person reporting that, that would be odd, huh? They also experienced severe headaches, nausea, vomiting, and fatigue. The sleeping sickness had a significant impact on the affected individual and the overall community. I bet, you know, if you're... A small community of 810 individuals and you know you have more than 50 percent people being ill i mean a lot of things are going to go wrong in the community stores are going to be closed supplies are not going to be in um you know hospital or, or clinics may not be open so yeah that's that's pretty severe so the initial speculation and rumors uh, when the sleeping sickness first emerged it was baffling both the community and medical professors uh, professionals several speculations and rumors circulated regarding the potential causes 
Some have suggested that contaminated water or soil in the area might be responsible. Yeah, I agree with that. I said it earlier. While others believe it can be a, an illness like meningitis. Nah, I doubt it. Meningitis is severe and um, you don't wake up with a sort of with a hangover after meningitis. I mean, you, can, you, you, you die from meningitis. At one point, there were even rumors suggesting the counterfeit vodka might be the culprit behind the strange illness. So... Yeah, I mean, drinking that stuff, definitely. But if, if, it's, if it's affecting kids and if it's affecting cats, I'm sure the cats are not pounding vodka. But you never know. Russian cats uh, could be, uh, you know, a little bit different. But I don't see dogs or cats pounding vodka. As the number of affected individuals continue to rise, the Kazakhstanian government and scientists mobilized to investigate the root cause of the sleeping sickness. They have conducted extensive research examining various potential factors, including the local environment, water, soil, and nearby industrial activities. Yeah, industrial. You always have to think about industrial things causing these. The goal was to identify any substance or condition that can contribute to the illness. Oh, well, here we go. What does Kazakhstan have? They have uranium mines and they've been exposed to carbon monoxide. There you go, carbon monoxide. Uh, you have headaches and you feel very, very bad after being exposed. I don't know if you can sleep for that long unless the carbon monoxide is substantially built up in your system and then you die. Um, and then uranium, yeah, that's not a, a good uh, element to be exposed to. In mid-2015, the deputy prime minister of Kazakhstan made a significant announcement. He declared that the government had finally unraveled the mystery behind the sleeping sicknesses. The nearby uranium mines held the key to understanding the illness. Although the mines have been closed since the early 90s, occasional release of carbon monoxide occur, reducing the oxygen content in the air. This heightened level of carbon monoxide was identified as the primary cause of sleeping sickness. All right, so if you have a closed mine, and you have no machinery running inside of these mines, and how do you have carbon monoxide coming out of it, right? Unless um, uranium produces carbon monoxide? I, I don't think so. That's something weird with that explanation. Well, the government's announcement provided a plausible explanation for the sleeping sickness, although the government said they had found the cause. Some individuals and experts disagree with the findings. Count me in. They argue that the gases such as carbon monoxide, or excuse me, carbon dioxide and methane, which were also present in the vicinity of the uranium mines, could also contribute to the illness. Okay, so you have more gases. On the other side, an alternative theory was proposed by an epidemiologist and academic uh, from a nearby university. After interviewing the local, the local populace, they actually suggested that the condition was caused by a contamination of the water by chemicals. Yeah, I can go with this. It was assumed that these chemicals were used by the military and had uh, seeped from barrels. However, there was no specific chemical mentioned. It was postulated that this was an idea worth exploring further. So um, often with chemicals, you see a lot of cancers. You know, in the future, if there's a lot of people affected by cancer, especially stomach cancer or kidney cancer or liver cancer, because those are kind of like our oil filters, then that would kind of lend to the credibility that something was wrong with the water. But, you know, how hard is it really to analyze water, you know? Just get a little sample and take it to a lab and you should have everything done. 
In the light of the potential health risks posed by the cardboard monoxide and other gases, the authority decided to evacuate the affected villages. Good choice. Residents were relocated to safer areas away from the uranium mines and potential sources for sleeping sickness. The evacuation aimed to protect the population and prevent further cases of the mysterious illness. Yeah, they should probably close the mine, you know. They can cement it. And uh, if you have a buildup of carbon dioxide, it could seep through the soil, perhaps, but it would be at a very small quantity. And I'm sure that um, you can put something on the soil itself to act as a filter for carbon monoxide. After the evacuation, monitor efforts were implemented to track the well-being of the relocated residents and ensure their safety. Ongoing research studies were conducted. Yeah, so we, they don't know yet what's going on there. It's very weird. The odd thing that strikes me is why are people still living in an area, you know, when they're encountering all these weird things? Again, if you get familiar, sometimes people get familiarized or they get content and complacent. They're afraid to move. Because if something was going on like that in my town, I would uh, right away I would think about selling and moving to a different place or, or you just altogether moving and waiting for the sale later. Let me, man. What's up, widow? Haven't seen you in a while, man. So, widow. What's up? Good to see you. So, uh, widow, are you a female or male, or what's your gender? Because Jennifer calls you my girl. Gen X played outside, drank from the hose, and made shanty bike ramps up over each other. I'm still alive. Heck yeah, dude. Gen Xers were bad. We're the 70s and 80s kids are the most resilient. I think we're going to be like, we're probably going to make it into 110, 120s. And then the softer generation of today, they're lucky to get out of their 60s. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I thought you were male. That's that's what uh, that's what I thought. But, you, you know, nowadays you have to ask. Oh, see, Jennifer thought you were female. <laughs> Must be because you have a beautiful face, widow, and you know how to put makeup on, which I thought was rad. No, don't feel dumb. So, yeah, the Gen X drank from the water hose, man. The water hose, I'm sure it's immune. We got, like, some kind of crazy immune, all the Gen Xers, because um, we're just like that. Gen X is probably the best generation, just saying. I know you do your makeup awesome because I asked you before. I said, is that a picture that you got from the internet? Is that you? And he said, no, that's a, a makeup. You have a band. Plug your band into the show. I know I know you play music. If you have a band, plug in your channel. I would like to hear your music. Sounds like you can probably be in some kind of like goth, uh, goth punk, right? Goth punk, probably. Yeah, put in your, put in your thing. Okay, so Jennifer said, yeah, you are you are completely excused, girl. You're good. All right, let's go on to our next story of today. And this is called the Dancing Plague of 1518. Why so many people dance themselves to death? The Dancing Plague of 1518 is an event in which hundreds of citizens of Strasbourg inexplicably dance for weeks, some even to their death. Goodness. In the annals of history, there are some events that defied rational explanation, you think? One such event is the Dancing Plague of 1518. During this bizarre incident, several people in Strasbourg, France, began dancing uncontrollably, and some even danced themselves to death. The phenomenon lasted for about a month, 
and remains an, an intriguing mystery to this day. <coughs> Excuse me. In this article, we will delve into details of this strange phenomena. The Dancing Plague of 1518 started in July when a woman named Fra Trofa, cool name, Fra Trofa, began dancing fervently in the streets of Strasbourg. Uh, then it was a free city within the Holy Roman Empire, and now it's in France. What began as a solitary act soon escalated into something much larger. Mrs. Trofa danced continuously for an astonishing four to six days. That's really, really hard to believe, but it's true, I guess. I mean, dancing for four to six days, captivating the attention of onlookers. However, that was truly remarkable was that others soon joined her in this relentless dance, unable to resist the compulsion to sway to an invisible rhythm. Yeah, I wonder if there was music. I guess not. I guess people just kind of did their own things like um have you guys heard of those parties now when people just kind of take their headphones and everybody's playing like a different kind of music they're like silent parties or silent raves which i think is awesome for parents you know you just get a warehouse everybody has their own uh, uh ear scopes <laughs> ear scopes what are these things called ear ipod ear thingies and everybody got their own tunes going on and then they just start dancing and then from outside all you probably hear is just squeaky sneakers. Within a week, 34 people are joined Miss Trafa in her dance marathon. The number continued to grow very rapidly, and within a month, approximately 400 individuals were caught up in the inexplicable dancing mania. The afflicted dancers showed no sign of stopping, even as their bodies grew weary and exhausted. Some danced until they collapsed from, ex they collapsed from exhaustion, while others succumbed to heart attack strokes or starvation. The streets of Starsborough were filled with a cacophony of footwork and the desperate cries of those unable to break free from the grips of the strange compulsion. Wow, that's sad. The dancing epidemic of 1518 baffles both the medical community and the general public. Physicians and authorities search for answers, desperate to find a cure for this inexplicable affliction. Initially, astrological and supernatural causes were considered but local physicians quickly dismissed these theories. Instead, they proposed that the dancing was a result of hot blood. All right, so it's not the stars, and it's not supernatural, but it's hot blood, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hot blood. A natural disease that could only be cured by more dancing. Oh, that's great advice from doctors. It's almost like doctors promoting smoking back in the 30s and 40s. The authorities even went so far as to construct dancing halls and provide professional dancers and musicians to keep the afflicted individuals moving, so they didn't really care. They said, eh, go ahead, keep dancing. So next time you see somebody dancing, you'd be like, hey, I think you have hot blood. That would be a cool thing. Hey, uh, hey there, Mary, you've been dancing for a while. Have your doctor check you for hot blood. Despite the efforts to find a logical explanation, the true reason behind the dancing plague or 1518 remains a mystery. Severe theories have been proposed over the years, each offering the unique perspective of this unusual phenomena. Ergot funga, funga, fungi, a poisonous delusion. One theory suggests that the dancers may have consumed ergot fungus, which is a psychotropic mold that grows on rye. This is actually uh, believed to be uh, have been the cause for the Salem witch trials. You know, remember back in Salem and early America when uh, women were being accused of being witches? 
because they were they would do all kinds of weird behavior. Uh, it was found out that it was actually due to a psycho psychotropic mold. So basically, some kind of they were on acid tripping, and then people thought that <laughs> it's not funny. People thought that they were witches and they would burn them at the stake. But I guess that could have happened here. Uh, ergot is known to cause hallucinations and delusions similar to the effects of LSD. However, this theory is highly contested as ergot is extremely poisonous and more likely to kill than induce a dancing mania. Man, no, no, I, I, I don't like that explanation. It's not like, perhaps I don't think that we're consuming a lot amount, you know? Anyways, that's my two cents. Uh, another explanation revolves around the power of superstition and the influence of religious beliefs. It is said that a legend circulated in the region warning that St. Saint Vitus, Saint Vitus, a Christian martyr, would inflict plagues of compulsive dancing upon those who angered him. Yeah, I don't know what kind of saint that would be. Um, this fear may have contributed to the mass hysteria and the belief that dancing was the only way to appease the saint. If that would have been the case, that would have been more known. You know, doctors wouldn't be attributing uh, things medically. They would be like, hey, you know, people are just saying it's a saint. Because I know this has been called the Saint Saint Vitus since, since Vitus dance. It's, you can also find it under there. Either the dancing plague or Saint Vitus dance. Could have been mass hysteria or stress-induced psychosis. A third theory proposes that the dancing epidemic was a result of stress-induced psychosis. Strasbourg was plagued by famine and faced ongoing crisis during this period. Okay, so being that they were plagued by famine, it would lend me to believe that, that if they did consume mold on rye, it would have been in small amounts, because if you have famine, you have low amounts of rye, so people were consuming just a little bit of it, but just enough to get high off of it. Right, so putting two and two together. Um... The intense stress and anxiety experienced by the population may have triggered a collective psychological breakdown leading to the mass participation of the dance, perhaps. There was also a similar phenomenon. It's called the Tanganyika laughter epidemic. Uh, let's see here. In 1962, a laughing epidemic broke out in Tanzania known as the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, lasting for several months. This outbreak of mass hysteria saw individuals unable to control their laughter, much like the dancers of 1518. Conclusion, the dancing plague remains an enigma up to this day. What do you guys think, huh? Let's see here. Ergot. Yeah, Rock W, you got it. I was Ergot. Headphones. Thanks, Rafa. Sometimes I, I brain fart and I don't, uh, I can't it's aging dude i see it in my mind i just can't get the words out stressburg that's nice played all words touche jennifer goth punk metal yeah i figured um put some links there widow so we can hear your music because i'm a hot-blooded yeah foreigner there you go Let's see, um, several days. Okay, hey, what's up, Brad Pitbull? Good to have you here, my friend. We have like the classic, cl classic crowd, I love it. My comrades in arms. So that was the dancing pla plague. Uh, 
let's see what else we got for today you guys ever heard of the amber alert system you know it's that crazy alarm that if you have your phones turned on sometimes it just beeps like you're gonna you expect reading it and saying like hey russia's bombing the us uh, it serves a very honorable purpose don't get me wrong uh, it helps those uh, kids that have been uh, at, at risk for being kidnapped so it, uh, if you're in the freeway and you get the alert, you may be able to save a kid by identifying the, the vehicle. And they often give the vehicle and they give you the license plate. So I don't know if that's just the California. I think it's probably, no, it's probably an entire world thing. What, what excuse me, an entire uh, US, because I, I mean, I've always experienced it in California, but I'm sure the Amber Alert, it's in all states. Anyways, um, this is because there was a young lady named Amber Hagerman. And unfortunately, her tragic passing led to the development of the Amber Alert system. In 1996, a horrific crime shocked the city of Arlington, Texas. A nine-year-old girl named Amber Hangerman was abducted while riding her bike near her grandma's house. Four days later, she was found in a creek um, unalived. In the quiet city of Arlington, Texas, in 1996, uh, Amber hopped on her pink bicycle, unaware that it would be her last ride. Tragically, she was kidnapped and was found three day, four days later near uh, Forest Hill Apartments. The case shook the community to its core, and despite extensive investigation, this brutal crime still remains unsolved to this day. Um, Amber's story, however, would not would go on to inspire a revolutionary system that has saved countless of life. The Amber Alert System, named in her memory, has become a global phenomenon. Wow, global. Rapidly providing notification about missing children which are in danger. See, sometimes it takes something so sad to help others. God bless her. Beautiful little girl. On the faithful day of January 1396, uh, Amber and her younger brother Ricky were enjoying a bike ride next to Grandma's house, and um, she was riding her pink uh, bicycle near a Win Dixie abandoned Win Dixie grocery store. But Ricky decided to turn back and go home, and so he never was able to see anything or hear anything because he wasn't there when. Amber was kidnapped. It was there that a man uh, in a black pickup truck snatched Amber, unfortunately. Uh, Jimmy Kevill, a retired a retiree living nearby, actually witnessed the abduction before his own before his own very eyes. He saw Amber riding her bike in a black pickup truck, pulling her uh, pulling up beside her. The man jumped out, grabbed her, and drove her off as she screamed for help. That's horrible. Kevin uh, Kevill, Mr. Kevill, immediately contacted the police, hoping to save the young girl from her captor. Despite the swift response from the law enforcement and an extensive search, Amber Hagerman's whereabouts remained unknown for four days. Then, four days later, as we know, uh, she was found uh, four miles away from her home. Uh, former Arlington police detective Randy Lockhart who was present at the scene, vividly recalls the devastating moments. Amber's um, tragic passing sparked a national conversation about the need for something more rapid to help locate missing children. Inspired by the courage and resilience of Amber's mom, Diane Simone, who called a local radio station to discuss the idea, the Amber Alert System was born. 
initially known as Amber's Plan. The concept quickly gained support from broadcasters in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, joining forces with law enforcement to create a system that would notify the public about abducted kids. The program was later renamed AMBER, which stands for America Missing Broadcast Emergency Response Alert. So I guess it's in all other states as well. The AMBER uh, alert system operates on a simple yet effective premise. When law enforcement agencies determine that a child has been abducted and meets a specific set of criteria, they notify broadcasters and state transporting agencies. This triggers a very coordinated effort to disseminate information about the missing child to the public through various channels. You guys have been driven, you know, you guys have driven down the freeway when you see the signs that would say child abduction, for example, blue Honda Civic, California license plate, and then they will tell you the number of the plate. So Amber Alerts interrupts regular programming appearing on television, radio, and digital billboards. They also reach people through text message and social media platforms like Facebook. The goal of the is to leverage the collective power of community, turning citizens into additional eyes and ears for law enforcement. Very noble, very awesome program. Since the inception in 1996, the Amber Alert System has proved to be a vital tool in recovering abducted kids and bringing them back to safety. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, the program has resulted in the recovery of over 1,000 children as of 2023. That's amazing. Then these numbers demonstrate the significant impact of the system and its ability to mobilize communities in the search of missing kids. Amber alerts also serve as deterrents to potentially perpetrators. As studies have shown that some abductors release their victims upon hearing the alert. The system's success lies in its ability to quickly disseminate critical information to the public, increasing the chances of locating abducted children and ensuring their safe return. What's cool about it too is that you know once the DMV is aware of the the car and the license plate, they can track it down to who drives that vehicle, making it even you know faster or to at least to know who who, who the perpetrator is. Um, so what are some controversies surrounding the Amber Alert system? You know, in our world, there's always people that are against something. So. While the Amber Alert system has undoubtedly been instrumental in saving lives and reuniting family, it is not without its challenges and controversies. Here we go. One of the main criticisms is the potential overuse and this is uh, desensitization. Desensitization. Okay. Desensitization caused by false or overly broad alerts. In some cases, alerts have been issued for children who were not actually abducted but were lost or involved in family misunderstanding. You know, regardless of that, my personal opinion is if there's a thousand kids that I've been able to survive, go ahead and keep doing it. I know that when I see the freeway sign, sometimes you just kind of glance at your local vehicle. It's like if it says a gold color, you know, Honda, you, you do look and you see if you can find in your vicinity. And if it happens to be somebody there, then kudos to you. Another concern is the health effect associated with the loud and sudden alerts. Okay, get over it. Uh, these have been reports of indigenous suffering, hearing damage, and other complications due to high volume of Amber Alerts. Come on, people, stop being soft. Additionally, the Amber Alert system has faced criticism for exhibiting bias and discrimination towards children of color. I'm not going to go there. The criteria for issuing alerts often excludes missing black kids who are classified runaways, resulting in delayed response and investigation. All right, so if some kids, I'm not going to talk about race, if they've been classified as runaways, then Amber Alert, I, I thought it was for a more immediate plan. So 
I mean, I'm sure that the people that are running this kind of thing are not going to be biased. But if they are, then I feel sorry for that. That's horrible in itself. All right. So this was pretty much... Um, this is pretty much the story of uh, of Amber Alert. I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew it was named after a little girl that was kidnapped, but I never knew, like, the whole thing behind it. Let's see. Going back to... Widow. The laughter epidemic is weird. Yeah, dude, that's pretty odd. Can you... Can you imagine being affected by both epidemics? I mean, you'd be like dancing and laughing at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. I figured, man. I, I mean, you know, with your awesome makeup, it's not like I, I'm not gonna, you know, I wouldn't be like a disco band, like Widow plays at a disco band or a grunge, right? It's funny because if you think about it, like Kiss was like full on makeup and they, I've always thought about Kiss. Kiss is a funny band, man. They look like they just came straight out of hell and they just play like, you know, their music is so wussy. They're like, you know, it's like they play like the Carpenters music and they like, they look like demons. <laughs> I don't know. There's some cool, I try to get into Kiss. Uh, I, I listened to, the first album's pretty good. Um, I just don't like it when they have so many lineup changes, man. Ace Fraley for me was top-notch guy. There's a good uh, interview. Um, if, if you look, if you go to YouTube, there's a, there's a really funny interview with Ace Fraley, and uh, they're actually all of them, um, all of them in the show. This is like in the beginning, probably in their 40s. They, actually, they were probably in their 70s. I just said, yeah, the interview is by Tom Snyder. It's, it happened in 1979, and if you look at it, man, do yourself a favor. Watch that interview. Look for Kiss interview with Tom Snyder, 1979, uh, and you can see like Ace Fraley just being a clown. I mean, super funny. The guy's just awesome. And then you see, um, you know, you see the other members of Kiss uh, being all like upset about the fact that Ace is just having a Ace is having a blast. Peter Chris, which is the, the drummer of the band, is also having fun. So Peter and Ace are just having a ball. And then you have Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. Gene particularly looks pissed. Like he wants to keep it serious, like a serious interview while the guy's like on full regalia with makeup. Um, but no, that interview is classic, man. And I thought that Ace was an amazing guitar player. Yeah, it does something to me when people, when bands have a lot of lineup changes, you know, th there's, there are some lineup changes that are like better the band. For example, I don't know, I'm a, I love uh, Fleetwood Mac and if you, Fleetwood Mac has had like some crazy amount of band up, uh, of lineup changes, but the original like Fleetwood Mac that you would think of, you know, with like Mick Fleetwood, Christine McVie, John McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham. That's like my lineup, right? Like the classic lineup. But before that, they had like, they started up as a blues band. They had a lot of members, different different members. And um, sometimes I just think it loses the, the appeal. But in this particular case, I think Fleetwood Mac actually benefited because that's like the classic lineup that created all that music, uh, all the mu awesome music. Although there is an album by Fleetwood Mac that I like a lot, and that was when Bob Welch, uh, was in the band and um, 
and because there's a few cool songs the, the name of that ba- uh, of that um album uh it's called mystery to me that album came out in 73 and it has um a couple of cool songs that i like and i just like i, I like uh i like the lineup bob welch was a a cool guy emerald eyes i don't know if you heard it. it's a great song uh hypnotize is awesome it has a really cool drum beat um, and the whole album just kind of flows Another band that actually benefited from my lineup changes, I think, is Genesis. Like, if you listen to Genesis back in, like, the late 60s, you know, when um, when Peter Gabriel was the four, the frontman, was a completely different band from, like, the Genesis of the 80s. But both bands are amazing. So that's another band that actually um, benefited from a lot of lineup changes. But then you have bands that, are like, for example, like Journey, um, even though like you have a journey now has the lead singer that sounds a lot you know like um one second here uh journey has a lead singer that was doing a cover band that sounds a lot like steve perry it's it's not it's not steve perry and i know that steve perry uh, his voice has diminished in quality but you know for me like journey will always be steve perry uh even though that arnold panetta who is the the filipino singer it's amazing he's an amazing person and he's an amazing uh, singer i just kind of always like the original lineup for that particular band yeah when they change too much it's like bleh. let's see yeah i don't like the stories either but uh you know we have to um we have to face the fact that reality is reality and so, but w- when we learn about these stories, we learn that we need, we need to be extra cautious with our kids. Like, I don't let my girls outside for nothing to play in the streets. Forget it. So, had I not hear these stories in the past, then um, I wouldn't maybe be as cautious, right? Because when I was a kid, I was always in the streets. You know, there was obviously there was kidnappings going on. Our parents weren't aware. So, it's kind of like a public service public service announcement to to let people know that hey, don't let your kids do crazy things. Go out and play. It's not like it's not that say it's not safe anymore like it was when we grew up so i'm sorry i apologize if you don't like the story but i think sometimes they do serve um they do serve uh, a greater purpose if you will let's see here uh, yeah kiss sucks yeah i kind of like like i said i would listen to the first album jennifer says kiss sucked it no it was okay but it's not like i don't know it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't spend too much money on kiss music so it's pretty similar widow says uh, ace was amazing and still is yeah he recently did a new album the tom snyder interviews yeah i know i'll do that tom i listen to the tom snyder interview you guys you guys are gonna love it jim was so pissed i was like it's funny to see him at our bell files whereabout uh in california are you i'm in uh i'm in riverside i'm in riverside california riverside is pretty broad it starts off of like Orange County and then it goes all the way to state line. So I'm somewhere in there. I am. Um, yeah, Christine might be. I know that sucks. You know, I, two years ago, I wanted to go see. Um, I had the chance two years ago. I, I was going to go see um, Fleetwood Mac play live. But I, I heard some of the shows that they had been playing and their voices were gone. And I'm like, do I really want to kind of see one of my you know one of my favorite bands when their voices are gone it's sort of like 
watching Muhammad Ali in one of his last fights. I'm like, so I kind of, I didn't commit myself to buying the tickets. And then, you know, lo and behold, the next thing that happens is that Lindsey Buckingham gets out, gets kicked out of the band. And I'm like, nah, forget it now. I, don't, I can't see them without Lindsey Buckingham. And then Lindsey Buckingham has some kind of stroke. He has some issues with his vocal cords. And then Christine McVie passes away. So, yeah. Believe it or not, I'm going, I think it's next week, and I'm going to watch uh, Rumors, uh, a local, uh, Rumors is a band, I think from Alabama, they do an amazing recreation of like the early um, Fleetwood Mac, I, I watch a lot of cover bands, uh, there's a, a band, like, uh, I'm also a big fan of The Doors, hence Strange Days, right? So The Doors are one of my all-time favorite bands, and there's a, a band called Wild Child, they do an amazing cover of it, um, amazing, they sound just just like them. And so this band called Rumors, they sound amazing and they dress sort of in that period of, you know, 70s to early 80s. And they're, they're going to be in San Diego, I think, next weekend. So I'm going to go check them out. Um, let's see. You used to live in Riverside, Jennifer? That's cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of people actually have at one point or another kind of cross paths here in Riverside. I love Riverside. Uh, I grew up in, in, in San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. And uh, when I had to come to Riverside, I was dreading it, but I wouldn't change it, man. It's a small community, tight-knit, a lot of good schools, a lot of good churches around. So your mom grew up in Riverside. Yeah, I know. I like it. Roxy, you're from Cali originally. What part, if you want to share? River slime. <laughs> That's funny. I never heard of river slime. People are strange. That's right. Widow says, Doc, uh, what do you know about the Southern California Bigfoot sightings from Big Bear to Oceanside? Did you hear about any of those sightings back in the day? Uh, no, not really. There was, uh, I just hear about disappearances here. Like uh, recent, there was a girl, a girl who wanted to walk, who wanted to do the whole um, Sierra, Mount, Sierra Nevadas, and she started off in California, down in uh, San Diego. She made it as far as like the Riverside County, then she disappeared. But, you know, California is full of weird stuff. Like we have, um, you know, we have uh, all the Yosemite Park stuff. And the, what's really odd about California is Mount Shasta. If you ever look into Mount Shasta stuff, wow, dude, that's, Mount Shasta has some crazy stuff going on. Might do some shows in the, in the, um, in the future about Mount Shasta. Riverside is pretty cool. They used to have an art walk. They might still have it. Yeah, you know, they have um, they have that, um, I don't know about the art walk, but they, they have a lot of functions here. They have the, the Christmas lights at the Mission Inn, which is a magical, I love the Mission Inn. Um, I just love that place. I like the architecture and inside it's just, man, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hotel. And I'm glad it's, it's a national landmark so that way they can't touch it. I was talking because I always... I have patients from all kinds of diverse backgrounds. So I had a lady of mine who actually works at the, um, she works at the Mission Inn and uh, she's a housekeeping. So I asked her, I go, you know, tell me a little bit about the, you know, have you ever seen anything weird at the Mission Inn? Anything's going on? And she's like, yeah. And I go, well, what is it? She said that there's a particular room in the Mission Inn that is not, uh, it's not rentable. She wouldn't tell me the name, the room name. I don't really ask her. She didn't tell me the room name or the floor, but she says it's the only room in the Mission Inn that nobody goes into. It's, you know, housekeeping once in a while, but it's a non-rentable room. And she says that there's some crazy stuff that happens in there. And she's been in the room a few times herself, and she said that, yeah, she's experienced a lot of weird things going on in that room. 
So yeah, that's a, a local room that's probably haunted. Um, that reminds me uh, about the John Cusack movie, 1408. Have you guys seen that movie? It's about a, an unrentable room in a hotel in which he kind of talks himself into getting the room rented for him. And um, my daughter watched it like a week ago and she was trying to ask me to explain the ending for her. So yeah, if you wanna, if you like scary movies in regards uh, to a, a good plot, watch 1408. I like John, I've, I've said it before, John Cusack's one of my favorite actors. Don't ask me why. It's probably because I remember him from, you know, from when I was little, like One Crazy Summer was an awesome movie. Uh, <laughs> I always liked that movie when I was a little kid. Better Off Dead, uh, awesome, awesome movie. And I think he's very, uh, he's a likable guy. He's very, very versatile. He's done a lot of different, um, a lot of different genres. And uh, so, yeah, John Cusack, man, I love that guy. I think he's a great actor. He just draws me in. Seems like a nice human being. Also, what other movies do I like from him? Eight Men Out, of course. He did awesome in that movie. Say Anything. I mean, come on. Probably watch that tonight. I love that movie, Say Anything. He was also in, the, um, let's see, uh, Gross Point Blank. If you guys seen that movie, that's a pretty hilarious movie. Um, the Thin Red Line. He's been in that movie as well. High Fidelity. Love that movie. That's a very cool movie because it's kind of like Gen Xer, you know. Uh, Serendipity was a very cool movie. I love that movie. It's one of those uh, romantic movies. So, yeah, I mean, John Cusack's a man. I, I really like uh, his movies. He's funny. He can be, you know, he can do all kinds of stuff. So, yes. Let's see here. Because I don't think I'm going to do any more articles. We already hit like an hour mark. So I'm just going to kind of entertain with, with you guys. Let's see. So Roxy W. Lake, Lakewood. Okay. No Lakewood. Anaheim. Okay. Roland Heights. And had an Anna Riverside. Very cool. And then Hollywood. Okay. So I grew up in San Fernando Valley. I grew up in uh, Van Nuys, Sherman Oaks area. Then my parents moved to, uh, what was it? Uh, Panorama City. And then they moved to Reseda. And when I got married, that's where they were at. Lived in Palm Springs. Palm Springs is pretty chill. <clears throat> they have good restaurants there. And Jennifer, my family owns a cabin in Big Bear Bound since the 50s. I have been uh, going there for every summer uh, for most of my life. Never had a Bigfoot counter. Yeah, Big Bear is beautiful. I actually, it's funny, I, I thought about renting a cabin this weekend with my fam, but I looked at the prices and they were just insane. They wanted like, you know, 300, 400 bucks a night. Uh, cabin is near Angels Oaks. Not familiar with that, but it's it's a, it's a nice place to go up once in a while. Widow says, yeah, Shasta. I have been through there many times on one trip. I lost hours driving from Oregon. One trip, I lost hours driving from Oregon to Laguna. Wow. I don't remember driving through Shasta. And all of a sudden, I entered Laguna. That's crazy, bro. That's crazy. Maybe you should come in sometime and, uh, and share that story. Uh, Sugarloaf Mountain, okay. Uh, I forgot the 1408 movie. To the, yeah, dude, I love John. John's an amazing. Roxy says, uh, Roxy W, it's like John Cusack, one of my favorite. Yeah, he's my my main crush. <laughs> I don't have, a, there's some, you know, I've, I've always been uh, man crush, James Dean. I always loved James Dean movies when I was growing up. Um, 
who what other actors do do I kind of tend to like geek out on uh, definitely like I said John Cusack one actor that I, I kind of watched and um, sister lives in Redding California has a few stories well if you ever get her on the air I would love to talk to her Mount Shasta is supposed to have UFOs. It says, yeah, there's definitely some weird stuff happening of UFOs in Mount Shasta and like time issues and mysterious holes and people coming out of caves and all kind. you know, the kind of stuff that we kind of just look for and we love. Now, I know personally, uh, having a fascination to the paranormal, I don't know if that would translate into me actually going into these places. I'm kind of a wuss. Um... Like doing like, you know, campments and kind of going, I'll probably be able to hang, like going out in the wilderness looking for like a Bigfoot, but going into areas where there's like creatures, I don't know, maybe, you know, when I was uh, in high school, we used to, um, we lived uh, near Laurel, I mean, we used to go to high school near Laurel Canyon and Laurel Canyon has a whole bunch of like weird things associated with it. In fact, one of our earlier shows was, was about Laurel Canyon. Anyways, there was that what we uh, what they considered the Houdini Mansion. There was uh, Harry Houdini was a famous escapist magician of the you know early 1900s, and he had this huge mansion in uh, in that area. Which at the time that I was in high school, it was it was it was in ruins basically. So you can go up there and do like some scavenger and walk around and do weird things. So one day we kind of you know we got a couple of high school friends and we went and we were kind of in the Houdini mansion you know trying to spook ourselves out and then we had a, we met a homeless guy that was kind of like walking out of nowhere came back and he was telling us he goes yeah he goes this place is it's an evil place uh, something like that he said that there's a connection there's an under there's he says there's an underground passage between this mansion to the other side of the road and it's filled with demons so kind of I think we started looking for the entrance and then we just ended up leaving. But lo and behold, we got a little bit of a scare. That's what we were kind of looking for. And then uh, a couple of years later, I was reading about the Houdini mansion because now it's fully, it's somebody bought the property and brought it back to life. And yep, lo and behold, there was a, there is an underground passage from the mansion to the other side of the road uh, that was said to be used back in the day for like bootleg or what have you. But this dude had some insight into it back in the 90s, so kudos to him. And if you if you guys are familiar with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, there is an album that they recorded in the 90s. It was called Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And there's a whole documentary on, on how they recorded um, how they recorded this album, basically a documentary. And they rented a mansion that falsely it's called the Houdini mansion. It's not called, the, it's not the real Houdini mansion, but it's a mansion that's right across the street from the Houdini property. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of weird stuff that the band was talking about that they were seeing or experiencing. And so that's the mansion that the underground tunnel from Houdini mansion connected to. So just a little bit of facts there. And by the way, that's one of my, probably one of my favorite uh, Red Hot Chili Pepper albums. I was a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, uh, late late 80s early 90s and uh i think uh blood sugar sex magic was probably the last album that i really like followed it on mother's milk was one of my favorite then it came uh, blood sugar and then after that it just kind of they lost it and now unfortunately to me the, all the songs sound pretty much the same but you know if you still like the peppers you still like the peppers let's see um 
going back. Uh, we also have a cabin near Palm Springs in Andreas Canyon. No Bigfoot sightings yet, but I'm going to keep hoping. That's awesome, Jennifer. I did find a Bigfoot footprint here in Mojave County, and I shook my world. Can you share a picture? I would like that. Share a picture. Uh, email, uh, text it to that number, that 951 if you have it, and I'll put it on next show. I'll put the number here, 951 Text it there. Text me that picture so I can see it. If you still have it, that is. Doc, I have some artifacts from Houdini's mansion. I have part of his fireplace mantle. Awesome, man. Widow, that's really cool. And it's funny because at that time, uh, this was the early 90s. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan, fanatic of the doors. We have uh, Jim Morrison had his house, right? It's uh, what we call a love lane. Uh, you know, she lives in love lane. Love Street, sorry. She lives in Love Street, that song. There's a store where the creatures meet. That's like probably, I would say about 100 yards or 150 yards south of uh, the Houdini mansion. So the, the at that particular moment in time, that house was being rebuilt. So we used to go up there. Uh, and kind of also do like some urban exploring of that house. I wish I would have taken some wood or something from there. Don't ask me why, but uh, yeah. And since uh, I think the, the house was burned, I went to, um, the house was under a fire, but they reconstructed it again. But in 2019, they did uh, an official uh, recognition of that street. It was called Rothdale trail that was the name of the street where the jim morrison house was rothdale trail and it was changed to love street lane or love street something so they had a huge festival out there uh and w when they were like dedicating the the street and i got to meet robbie krieger who was the guitar player originally from the doors i saw john Den john nesmore there i didn't get to meet him but he was the drummer of the doors and um Michelle Phillips was there too. She was uh, one of the singers for from the Mamas and the Papas, uh, and it was it was rad. They had some cover bands, and I also I also got to meet um, the the gentleman who probably documented Laurel Canyon the best. Um, he took all the famous uh, pictures in Laurel Canyon. He was a, a big friend of everybody there, and uh, this guy had set up. <clears throat> this had uh he had set up like his little thing and he was sending pictures his name is henry diltz d-i-l-t-z he took um uh, he's taking i mean amazing uh, photographs and he's documented the the, the the 60s bands for for a whole i mean for millennia so he took the cover for the morrison hotel album and um i actually got him to sign a little print that he had and i took a picture with henry diltz so i was geeking out so after that happened, I was walking up the hill right across the street from where the Morrison's house is, and I see this old guy walking around. And I recognized him. I said, dude, that's Robbie Krieger. And he was by himself. Nobody had recognized him. And I walked behind him, and I said, hey, Mr. Krieger, uh, I'm a huge fan, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up taking a selfie with Robbie Krieger. He was a gracious guy. I took two selfies with him. And then he kept walking, and nobody had any idea who he was. And I remember... Um, he was sitting on the curve. Uh, there was like some bands playing some music across the street and he was sitting by himself on a curve. And uh, I kind of gave away his identity. Eh? Some guy was talking to me and I go, hey man, look behind you. And he goes, what? I go, that's Robbie Krieger. And he's like, no way. I go, yeah, that's him. And as soon as I said that, people just started like, I blew his cover. Uh, 
but his cover needed to be blown. Because <laughs> people needed to see him and say hello and say thank you. Because uh, the doors were just something else, man. It was just the right time, the right kind of people to come together and, and make some music that's it's never been emulated. And they just the doors just have this fantastic sound to them that's just like a carnival, dash, mysterious, and Jim's poetry. It's just it's a band that's can never be replicated. So but yeah, that's that's my musical history uh events, if you will. Let's see here. So let me go back to the our comment section. Uh, it was in 1989. No pictures available. That's okay. No worries. There's a path through a river wash from the mountains of Oceanside. I remember about 1994 a news report that a uh, Amtrak passenger saw a Bigfoot-like creature near the tracks. That's widow. I haven't heard of that one. Um, Roxy W says, "Seems these days the strangeness is becoming a commonplace." You're absolutely right. You know the people that uh, that create Chat GPT. If you're not familiar, um, they're coming out with a video. So ChatGPT is uh, it's it's text to image software. What does that mean? That means that you type something out and it creates an image. Well, now they're coming with a new program. It's called Sora, S O R A. It's it's not available for uh, for beta testing and it's not available yet for anybody. But this particular program, it's voice to video. Excuse me, it's text to video. So this is really going to make it difficult for people to discern um, the, the, the paranormal because, um, you know, CGI is also, so it's been culpable for, uh, for, you know, for creating things. Oh, like people say, that's not a real video, that's CGI. Now, when this thing comes out, people are going to be like, oh, no, that's Sora. That's, that's not a real video. So it's going to be harder for people that are truly see something unusual to be able to be be proven to be something um realistic so that's kind of unfortunate you know but uh it is the way the way our technology moves and unfortunately um yeah so that's what roxy said that seems these days the strangeness is becoming commonplace yeah especially with this new software it will be you won't be able to tell the difference between created or fake uh Yeah, so the Jennifer Andrews, yeah, there, there's a video of someone from uh, Durango Company tra trained the cut of it. Yeah, so um, th this video was proven to be a hoax. Uh, it, there's a company right there that uh, right there near Durango that I think they sell mattresses, and I think they're called Bigfoot Mattress. And they're the ones that actually set up the, the Bigfoot um, siding from the train. I know it sucks, right? I think it's a yeah, Bigfoot mattress. I think they sell they sell something. I thought it was mattresses, but yeah, they're the ones who like stood up in that area and they made people believe that there was a Bigfoot on the side of the hill. Michelle Phillips is the last surviving members of the Bombers and the Papas. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, she looked pretty frail, pretty old. She was pretty hot when she was young. But she looks pretty frail. Uh, actually, her, her um, it was cool. Her daughters were there, you know, the Wilson Phillips. Uh, well, the Phillips sisters and then Wilson um, from the the Beach Boys. They, you know, these people all grew up together, so they formed bands. So Cynthia, uh, China Phillips, daughter of Michelle, and uh, then you have the Wilson sisters, Carney and Wendy. They created a band back in the night in the eighties called Wilson Phillips. They have pretty, uh, 
pretty famous songs. And uh, the Wilson sisters, obviously, their parent is Brian Wilson, who is the, the genius behind the Beach Boys. So you have the offspring of the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas made a band called Wilson Phillips. And they were singing there that day. They were performing. And in, in what's really cool also about that particular day was the, the Mama Cass. Mama Cass was the other member of the Mamas and the Papas. She had a daughter and... Uh, Her daughter was actually there singing with them too, because they all grew up together, you know. So yeah, which was uh, which was cool. Uh, let me see what her name is. Trying to find the name. Mama Cass' daughter. What's her name? Owen. Yeah, Owen Elliott. She was there. That that was a cool day for 60s rockers. Um, Widow says, that's awesome. I got Robbie to sign my doors book about 2007 at Book Soup. Uh, yeah, Robbie, Robbie is super chill. Like three weeks ago, I actually, uh, I went to San Diego. They had a, a book signing by uh, John Densmore. So he was there. We didn't get to meet him, though, because he's all freaking out about COVID. So he was kind of very, he was kind of far away. And so at the end of the show, like everybody wanted to come up and say hi and get an autograph. The books and they were already pre-autographed. And, and, and he said it, he goes, you know, I've never had COVID and I don't want to get it. So I'm going to stay away and he kind of escaped. But uh, I was able to see him face to face. And he's a very, very nice guy. He's very, uh, he's just a special guy. Uh, I met Ray also. I met, I met all the three door members except Jim. I was born a couple of years after he passed. But yeah, I met Ray Manzarek back in the 90s. I met Robbie back then too. And formerly I've seen John a few times, never met him, met him. But uh, yeah, and I met Robbie twice. Very cool guy. <clears throat> Fun fact, Jim was never very comfortable while being the singer. No, he was not. He was considering himself a poet. Yeah, he was actually. That's what he considered himself. And when they first started uh, playing, Jim would have a hard time facing the audience. So he would always have his back turned towards the audience. And that stems from two things. One of them being shy. And the other way, uh, the other fact is that when the door started, when they practiced, they, they all faced each other. So when he was playing live, uh, he would kind of emulate the same feeling that they get when they practice. So they create a circle. Uh, but yeah, eventually he got, um, you know, he became uh, more confident and he started doing his thing. If you watch the 1990 movie, The Doors, directed by Oliver Stone, there's a lot of myth there. Um, you know, Jim Morrison often portrayed in that movie, it's not really how he was in life. There was, you know, the whole like leathered, no shirt. Uh, he didn't really do that in concerts. He was always dressed wearing shirts. He didn't remove his shirt and walk around in leather pants um, naked like that. I read a lot of story about The Doors. I read a lot of books, heard a lot of books, so... But yeah, it's sad that they portray him as a, like a drunk. That was only part of his life. Um, but he was a very shy individual, very knowledgeable. He had the ability, um, according to Ray Manzarek, who was the organist. Jim Morrison had a wall full of books, and he was the guy that was. He would tell you to pull out a book and uh, read from any kind of from any page, and you would be able to quote the author and quote the the book that you were reading from. So he was uh, he was a brain, very smart cat. Um, I am mother. I haven't seen that, Ro Roxy. 
most disturbing movie i am mother i haven't seen it no yeah mama Cass had a daughter yes she did yeah i heard about that that mama mama Cass still kind of haunts her hollywood home that's that's good that you know that was funny yeah actually um i wanted because I've, I've i've heard stuff about that that house um who had it late uh, the last because uh, i know it's been around so the, the house is uh it was yeah okay yeah it was built by natalie wood if you guys i talked about natalie wood in a few uh shows before natalie wood was the actress in miracle on 34th street that was one of her first roles she was a very small girl and she's the girl that you know doesn't believe in santa blah 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 and then in the 60s she was uh, the love interest of james dean in rebel without a cost then in the 60s uh she was um Maria, right? For uh, what was the name of that? Uh, well, she she's a known, very well known actress, and uh, she sadly passed away off of the coast of of uh, she drowned actually off of the coast of Catalina Island in the early '80s. And she was um, so yeah, so she that was her home, Natalie Wood. If you look at old pictures of the Natalie Wood home, you can uh, just search. Um, search Mama Cass home. There's pictures of Natalie Wood uh, in that house. Uh, which was actually, it was built for Natalie Wood by her parents, where you have like cast from the movie uh, Rebel Without a Cost. Very cool pictures. After that, in the 60s, that house was was bought by Mama Cass. And uh, it is actually said that that's the house actually where Crosby, Stills, and Nash met. Was it a party or a get-together? That's actually the house where they met. So in 1979, um the house was actually leased to his to Ringo. Ringo Starr also lived there. And so there's a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of story to that particular house. It's that uh, while Ringo was living there, he smelled smoke and a spark from a fireplace set the second floor on fire. Ringo said that him and his guests were able to escape injury, but Le- uh, Ringo lost many of his possessions, including a lot of Beatles memorabilia in that uh, area. And the home after that was uh, owned by Dan Aykroyd and then by Beverly D'Angelo. That's the name I was looking for. Beverly D'Angelo is most famously known as the mom from the Griswolds. uh, You know, the National Lampoon. If you watch National Lampoon movies back from like the 80s, Beverly D'Angelo played the mom for them. So... Yeah, that's a little bit of <clears throat> history about the Mama Cass Helm. Let's see here. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> Natalie's death is definitely mysterious. Beverly D'Angelo also has there. Thanks, I should have read your comments. <clears throat> yeah. Jennifer, uh, you can travel unseen Pacific Crest Trail spans. Yeah, that's a huge, huge thing. So yeah, this girl wanted to do the Pacific Trail uh, Crest Trail by herself, man. Insane. Uh, Roxy W. Doc, you like James Dean? Newer movies with Rubber Life about James Dean? Excellent. Yes, I do like that movie. It was nice. I liked it. So that movie that Roxy's talking about, it takes it's about the life of a photographer uh, for Life magazine, which is played by Robert Pattinson, who plays. Uh, Obviously, you know him from the Twilight Saga. He's uh, the, the beautiful vampire. 
that Bella falls in love with. In this particular movie, he's a photographer for Life magazine, and he's um, he's uh, his job was to photograph James Dean. Yeah, I love James Dean. I loved. Um, I read a lot about him too back in the day, and um, I've been to twice to the to the, unfortunately to the place where he passed away. Um, and I've been to his former, his last house, which was uh, in Sherman Oaks, California. I've been there. It's it was it was uh, it was burned and, and another structure is built, so there's nothing really there anymore. But I've been to the the the, the locality, and I've been to. I remember I used to walk by the the gas station, where he, there's a famous picture of him filling up his Porsche on the date that he passed away at that gas station. That was in Sherman Oaks as well. And the, his day actually started at the farmer's market in Los Angeles. And I go there all the time. So he met up with some friends there that were heading up to Paso Robles for a race. And uh, Jimmy wanted to test his car out. So <clears throat> he decided to drive it with his mechanic. And the rest is history. He actually got a speeding ticket uh, about an hour before his crash. Uh, up the the five uh, the, the five freeway, he got a speeding ticket. He was pulled over, told him to slow down, and then about an hour later, he was deceased. And Turnip, the, so what happened was he was driving north. He was driving uh, west. His car was silver, very low to the ground, and there was a particular intersection in the middle of nowhere. And there was a car dr driven by a teenager. Uh, he was making a left. Jimmy was going straight, and apparently he did not see them. And Jimmy hit the car, tried to, you know, try to dodge him, and unfortunately he passed away from that crash. Turnip Seed was the name of the of the gentleman that was driving the up the other car. And then there's a whole story about James Dean car being cursed. There's people that bought parts from that car. Uh, put them in their own cars. They, they were killed in races and so on and so forth. Name of the car was Little Bastard. It was a 1955 Porsche. Let me get here. Little Bastard. It was a Porsche 550. Yeah. Very famous car. So yeah, he was killed on the road. So I, I bet, yeah, I, I've... Um, I wish I would have gone to his where he's buried. He's buried in Indiana. I lived in Chicago for a while. I could have gone to Indiana. It would have been two hours, but it would have been cool to to visit where he's buried. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate. It. It means a lot what you said. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. It's good to spend good time here with you guys. So, um. Yeah, I think I think that's it for me, guys. It's 8.30. I'm going to go see if the fam want to go get food. I'm kind of trying to manage my calories, to be honest. I've been kind of eating bad. <clears throat> I try to eat about 15 calories a day. In the last few days, I've been kind of just going bad, probably going about 200, 2,025. And today I've been good. I've only had, I've only had like 800 calories. And I, I know if I go out with the family, I'm going to eat more but then again it's hanging out right that's what counts okay let's see jennifer says the day that stevie ray vaughn died yeah i was in high school it was so crushed i didn't even talk for today so yeah no stevie's the that's a demise another helicopter crash on an overcount uh, you know overcast mountain what a silly way to go poor guy he was amazing and he was just kind of getting his life together you know getting sober and 
just kind of doing his thing. I love Stevie. Stevie's amazing. All right, guys. Well, God bless you. Um, maybe since tomorrow is like a holiday, I might uh, make I might make a quest uh, into um, into here again. But I'm still working on the little uh, two minute thing, so I'll be able to post it. See if you guys tell me what you think about it. I think I'm going to call them Strange Day Strange Day snippets. You guys didn't give me any ideas. Thank you. Appreciate you. Just kidding. Um, they're going to be like two to three minute stories. So tomorrow's not a holiday, girl. Tomorrow's Sunday. Monday's a holiday. <laughs> that was for Jennifer. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do these little shorts. I might call them uh, Strange Day Stories. Or what would I call them? They're like a two, three minute stories and they delve in one subject. Because I have Strange Days Live. Then it's going to be, I have the shorts. So Strange Days Stories, I think it will be okay. No, tomorrow's not a holiday. Monday's a holiday. What is it? President's Day? Let me see. I'll let you know right now. George, wait a minute. George Washington's birthday. Yeah. Good J-Dub. We don't have, I don't have work. Yeah. Third Monday in February, George Washington's birthday. Yeah, so... So tomorrow I'll probably be here. I kind of like this format. Um, so I'll probably be here. I'll try to be here before 7. I, I, I don't know. But I'll work on those shorts. I'll work on those stories. Okay. So God bless you guys. Uh, I appreciate you having you as friends and having you here as listeners. And uh, see you later. Thank you.